0: Hi, this is Jim Quick of Quick Learning, and I'm here as always to help you to learn quickly. And the question we have today is, how do you change your habits? When I say the word habit, you're probably thinking about something you want to take on, you want to journal, you want to meditate, you want to work out, you want to eat right, or something you're thinking about that you want to stop. You want to stop eating that one food, you want to stop binge watching Netflix you wanna stop smoking or something like that. And we've talked about in previous episodes that first you create your habits and then your habits create you, but how do you do that? And I'm really excited about this episode because I'm here with James Clear. Many of you know he is a leading world expert on habit formation. He's the author of the new book called Atomic Habits. And I love that name also. And so we're gonna talk about how tiny changes may have remarkable results. Thanks for being here. Yeah, you bet. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. So, for somebody who's listening right now, how much do people spend a day is, is habitual?
1: Yeah, it depends on what study you look at, but roughly speaking, it's between 40 to 50% of your behaviors 50%. on any given day are habits. So, you know, tying your shoes, brushing your teeth, unplug the toaster after each use. Like, and it's just unconscious. Like yeah, you're just on autopilot. Now, I actually think the true influence of habits are even greater than that. And the reason I say that is many times an automatic routine or an automatic habit will prompt the next chunk of time. Like it'll kind of decide what you're doing. You know, So think about the habit of pulling your phone out of your pocket. You do that without even thinking about it, but then the next 20 minutes you're answering email or playing a video game or browsing social media. And really that chunk of time, how you spend those 20 minutes was kind of determined by the habit of pulling your phone out of your pocket. So, in a way, habits are kind of like an entrance ramp to a highway. You know, it's like, as soon as you start moving in that direction, all of a sudden you turn around 15 minutes later and you're speeding down that way. So, I think technically it's 40 to 50%, but probably the true influence could be, I don't know, 70, 80, maybe even 90% is influenced by your habits. One of
0: the videos that we did, it has literally millions and millions of views, was this habit people have of picking up their phone first thing in the morning. Mm. Is that something that you do? Oh, yeah. So I've started to implement all kinds
1: of little strategies to avoid this, right? Because you wake up, you turn your alarm off. Pretty much everybody's using their phone as their alarm. Then also, you check Instagram. You're like, I haven't even gotten out of bed yet, right? <laughs> Should I be looking at Instagram already? And so... Obviously you could just buy a $6 alarm clock on Amazon and use that instead and charge your phone in another room. But sometimes even that doesn't work. So I've started to implement a couple different phone strategies, and this isn't related to sleeping, but I keep my phone in another room until lunch each day. And so I get at least like three to four hours where I can focus work in the morning, which helps a lot. The funny thing about that is if I have my phone next to me, if it's on like the desk or something in my office, I'll check it every three minutes just because it's there, right, I'm like everybody else. But if it's not there, if I keep it in another room, I have a home office, so it's like 45 seconds away, up the stairs or whatever, I'll never go up and get it. And so my question is like, did I want it or not? Like in a sense, I wanted it enough to check it 100 times throughout the morning, but I never wanted it bad enough to go 45 seconds up the stairs to get it. And I think there are a lot of habits that are like that. Technology makes certain behaviors so frictionless, so convenient, that we find ourselves sliding into things without really wanting to. And that's why environment design can be so useful. Just a small shift, like keeping your phone in another room, can help a bad habit fade away and you don't really need to do a whole lot else.
0: And those devices, they bring on experts, you know, like yourself that really understand this. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, there's
1: a whole team really at Google and Facebook and wherever, yeah, getting you to, trying to shape you to use the device as much as possible. And is it an addiction? It depends on how you think about it. The true definition of an addiction is that it's a behavior you continue to repeat despite negative consequences. So you know that it's negatively impacting your life, but you still can't bring yourself to not do it. And I don't know, you know, with habits, there's still a learning process that's going on. So in other words, all habits serve you in some way. And this I think is actually a useful way to think about habits. As you go through life, you face a variety of problems. And some of those problems are big and some are small, like you need to tie your shoe. So you look down at your foot and you have an untied shoe, and then you go ahead and tie it, and the first time it's really effortful, and then you do it 100 or 500 or 1,000 times, and pretty soon you can tie your shoe without even thinking about it. Your brain is automating the solution to that problem. And that's what a habit is. It's the solution to a recurring problem that you face throughout life, one that you've employed so many times so you can do it without thinking. And if the solution goes away, If it doesn't work anymore, then your brain will update. It'll change. And addiction is different. If the solution goes away, it's no longer serving you, you still feel a craving to do it. And that's like kind of the weird threshold between just a habit or a bad habit and an actual addiction.
0: It's interesting with technology, because we talk with our audience, like when you pick up your phone first thing in the morning, you're training your brain to... Number one, be distracted. You know, for every like, comment, shared, cat video or whatever, it doesn't really set up a winning day. But the other thing is it's training you to be reactive where you're just responding to text messages and voicemails and emails and everything. And one bad message can put you in a kind of a bad mood for the rest of the day. Mm. But if technology, like anything, it's a tool that you could use. If it's using you, then who becomes a tool, you know, in that equation? Well, there's a brilliant way to put technology to work for you, right? Like you can do that
1: with pretty much any habit. I mean, take the habit of like getting better sleep each night. In a sense, we often think about technology as software or something like that, but the couch that I'm sitting on right now is a piece of technology that allows me to sit, right? So there are a bunch of one-time choices or pieces of technology you can employ to help you get better sleep each night. Like you could test different types of mattresses and then buy the one that leads to the best night's sleep for you. You could purchase blackout curtains so that your room is dark enough for you to sleep. Buy a sleep mask so that you can sleep on the road, or you know one of those chili pads or the temperature-controlled pad that you can put on your bed so that you you know sleep at the optimal temperature.
0: Heavy blankets or sound machine, white noises, and one of
1: my favorite examples. My friend Nir Ayal, he wrote a book about habits as well called Hooked. Anyway, he bought an outlet timer off of Amazon, and it's just a device, it costs like $10, you plug it into your outlet, kind of like an adapter, and then you plug the device into the timer. But you can set the timer to turn off at a particular time. So he plugged his internet router into the outlet timer and then set it to kill the power at 10 PM each night. So it's 10 PM, can't watch Netflix, can't browse the internet anymore, it's time to go to bed. and. Imagine the cumulative impact of having the outlet timer and a slightly better mattress and blackout curtains and maybe earplugs if it's noisy or like all of these little pieces of technology that suddenly are working for you. They're tools that help you build a better sleep habit.
0: I love that. One of the things I loved about the book is a framework because our quick brains at home who are listening to this, they love frameworks. And so you you have four elements to your framework in terms of habit change and formation so can we walk people through that sure so just i'll give you a concrete
1: example as i talk through it so the four stages of any habit that i lay out in the book are cue craving response and reward so take the habit of flipping on the lights when you walk into a room pretty much everybody does this every day you walk into the room the room is dark that's a cue craving is about how you interpret the cue and whether you perceive that there would be some value in taking action. So you walk into a dark room, your interpretation is the room is dark, I'd like to be able to see, reduce the uncertainty of being in a dark room. So that's the craving. You flip on the light switch, that's the response. And then the room is lit up, that's the reward. Mm -hmm. And this happens, you know, that little cycle that we go through all the time, what is that, 30 milliseconds? I mean, your brain is going through this cycle endlessly and all the time, even right now, as you're listening to us talk, it's going through these. And really what I just described there, those four stages, it's the process of learning and then updating your brain, updating your expectations the next time around based on your past experience. And habits are the automatic solutions we employ based on the current situation, the current circumstances, and your previous experience. And the previous experience part is interesting there because you start to see why different people have different habits. You know, So you can come home from work and be stressed and exhausted. And one person might deal with that stress by smoking a cigarette another person deals with it by playing video games for an hour a third person deals with it by going for a run for 20 minutes and it was really their past experience that taught them how to respond to that current circumstance and eventually once we find solutions that work for us we start to employ the same ones again and again and they become a habit
0: hmm. so let's take something that where people have a bad habit so can we run people through an example similar sure. to the flipping the switch Well, so like watching television, a lot of people feel like they watch too much Netflix or binge watch YouTube or something
1: like that, right? Just generally procrastinating with too much screen time. So what's the cue? Well, so once habits are formed, in some cases, the cue is something very specific, right? Like seeing a plate of cookies on the counter. But often the cue becomes sort of the entire context associated with where you're at at that particular time or what habit you perform. So if it's watching Netflix, the context of being in your living room at 7 p.m., that actually is kind of the cue that's starting to nudge you toward that. Like there are a variety of little pieces of stimuli, the couch that you sit on, the television you look at, the angle that the chair faces. Like if you take the habit of watching television, you walk into pretty much any living room, where do all the couches and chairs face? They all face the TV, right? So like what is that room designed to get you to do? So that overall context is the cue. The craving might be to resolve like that feeling I just described a few minutes ago. I feel stressed and exhausted from a long day at work, right? I wanna resolve that boredom or that anxiety. Essentially, one way to think about a craving, the second stage in my four stage model, is it's the desire to change your state, right? Like you only get a craving when you want to achieve a different state. And I'm using the word craving here a lot of the time people think about a craving like, I crave a donut or I crave a cigarette. But I'm using it in a little more broader sense. Like anytime you desire to change your state, I feel bored, I don't want to feel bored. Or I see this one person climbed the corporate ladder and I want to be ambitious like that as well. Any anytime you say, I am currently here, but I would like to be somewhere else, that's a craving that motivates you to take an action. So context or cue, you're in the living room. Craving, I feel bored, I don't want to feel bored. Response, I turn on Netflix. Reward, I get to be entertained for
0: 30 minutes. The craving is actually very interesting to me because as people have studied habits in different forms, that seems like an element that is sometimes neglected because I'm curious like sometimes when somebody, or even my own cravings, like I could see the cue or the trigger or the reminder. And when we talk about memory, a lot of memory is and triggers like Mm -hmm. is reminders. Like if I see the chocolate cake, sometimes I'll want that gluten-free, organic, sugar-free chocolate cake. But sometimes I don't, and right. I don't actually, you know, execute on the uh, behavior. As your state is different, your responses are sometimes different, right?
1: So, like, you can imagine you walk into a kitchen and you see the plate of chocolate cake, and if you're hungry, you think, "Oh, that looks great. You know, I really want a slice." So your craving is like, "Oh, there's value in taking this action," right. so you go ahead and do. But you can just as easily imagine a situation where you just got done eating dinner in the other room, and you walk in, and you see the plate, and you're like, I'm stuffed I'm full. Like, I don't right. want to eat anything. And so your state is different, and so your prediction or craving is different, and thus your response changes.
0: I just hosted a dinner with past podcast guests, Dave Asprey, Mark Hyman, and JJ Virgin. You know, I had this trigger hair, that food that sometimes I might sneak some, but because the context of the people, the social pressure. Right. I actually, I was like, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah, you're around three people who are like, you need to be eating help. Yeah, I mean, we went to the restaurant. It took like 30 minutes to actually place the order, right. just because yeah, it yeah. took a little while. But that actually affected. So it was the same trigger, but I didn't, you know, go forward with it. So you bring up a really important point there, which is that
1: habits are often socially reinforced, and whether a cue is attractive to us or not, whether we want to perform a particular habit or not, is often dependent on the people that we are around, the tribes that we're a part of. You know, all of us are part of multiple tribes. Some of them are large, like what it means to be American or French or Christian or Buddhist or whatever. Some of them are small, like what it means to be a neighbor on your street or a member of your local CrossFit gym or a volunteer at the local school. But all of those tribes, large and small, have a set of shared expectations for how you act in that group. And when habits go with the grain of the shared expectations of the tribe, they're very attractive and we want to do them because they help us fit in, they help us right. be approved of, we get praised and so on. When habits go against the grain of the people that we're around, they're very unattractive because they force you to stick out. They force you to violate the shared expectations of the group. and. You can see this all day long in many behaviors that we do. So if you take common habits like you step onto an elevator and you turn around to face the front, or you have a job interview and you wear a suit and a tie or a dress or something nice. But you don't wear like a bikini. Yeah, but there's no reason you can't do that. It's not like you can't face the back of the elevator or wear a bathing suit to a job interview, but we don't because it violates the shared expectations of the group. Right, because uh, we have these rules and there's consequences. You get judged or you get outcast, or in some cases you break the law and you actually get punished. But the point here is that you wanna join a group where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Because if it's normal in that group, then it's very attractive to do it because the habit is the thing that gets you to belong, that gets you to fit in. And suddenly that thing that seemed hard for you to do is now a lever you can pull to fit in with the rest of the crowd.
0: We hear all the time, you know, you become the people you spend time with. Like right. you're the average of the five people or something like that. So it's not just your biological networks or your neurological networks. It's your social networks.
1: Yeah. Many habits are socially reinforced. Peer pressure can be positive or negative. Right? So like the idea here is how can we make peer pressure positive for us?
0: It's interesting because when I reading your book, it's the culture and it's also our identity, like how we see ourselves. because that's kind of what habits do also. It's self to others with regards to the people around us, but then it's also self to self is even when we're alone, if you do something like reading or something that could be positive, you're looking at yourself in a certain light. What would you say to somebody who was thinking about going online and getting this book? I mean, who is, who's it for And what's in it for them? Well, it's always dangerous to say,
1: oh, this book is for anybody. But pretty much anyone who's genuinely interested in self-improvement, anybody who's looking to achieve a higher standard or to improve their abilities in some way, I think will get a lot of useful and actionable advice out of it. The book is written specifically to be both about the why and the how. It's been written to be about why habits form and what the science is behind that, and also how you can change your life or adjust your habits. So you know, what can we actually do about that? And my hope is that people will find it to be an instructive and insightful evidence-based guide but also a highly practical and actionable framework for making adjustments in your daily life.
0: I could tell people it has the ideas and the theory and the practical applications. also very inspiring with the examples that you put in there. Because sometimes you you can read a book that's very inspiring and people don't know what to do. Mm. Or a book could be so instructional that they're not inspired to do anything with it. Where do people get the book? Yeah, so it's called Atomic Habits, and you can grab it at
1: atomichabits.com. It's also currently on sale on Amazon, so feel free to check it out there. But atomichabits.com
0: is the best place to go.